0: Welcome to the
1: Time Out Podcast with Tony McGettigan, because we all need a little time out from life. Well, folks, you're very welcome to episode number 43 of the Time Out Podcast with me, Tony McGettigan, and uh, it gives me great pleasure today to welcome a man who's got multiple involvements that keep him busy across various walks of life. He's a campaigner for autism awareness, a blogger, an author, a radio presenter, and also a huge Celtic fan uh, that runs a Celtic gossip page on Twitter that has over 50,000 followers. Uh, And his name is John Joe McGinley. John Joe, you're very welcome to the podcast.
0: Oh, thank you very much, uh, Tony, and and, I appreciate you having me on.
1: Not a problem, John Joe, and uh, how are you keeping
0: I'm doing grand, as uh, just trying to keep safe and keep the family safe in these interesting times and hopefully wait by the time till the vaccines come along and then hopefully we can get back to normal and start living life again.
1: That's right, that's all we can do, uh, John Joel. And uh, certainly, as as my introduction uh, shows there, you're a man of uh, multiple talents and I'd like to start off at the very top of the show, John Joel, by talking about Celtic and, of course... It's a very disappointing time for, for Celtic at the minute, John Joe, of course. Well, the, the events that happened last weekend, but not even to mention the position of Celtic. If you look at Celtic themselves, it's been a very disappointing season as a whole.
0: It's an understatement there, Tory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you actually look at it, we were on the cusp of history. You know, and, and uh, nine in a row is fantastic. Quadruple treble, never be repeated. Fantastic achievements, and they'll go down to history. But the holy grail of all was was 10 in a row. You know, Celtic have, have now done two nine in a row. Uh, Rangers, uh, when they existed, did nine in a row. But 10 in a row would have been fantastic. And we were full, so full of optimism at the start of the season. Uh, on paper, the signings that we made looked good. You know, the Barca's a Greek international goalkeeper. Big money, five million. You know, a Yeti. Uh, a sort of penalty box poacher You know It, it, it did look good But for whatever reason uh, Unfortunately It wasn't to be And a strong uh, Team from Ibrox Won the league And uh, congratulations to them Hopefully it'll be the one and only uh, <laughs> title But it's uh, it's good for a, a club To win their first league title And but as I say Hopefully this'll be the kick up the backside that the Celtic uh, board need to get us a top quality experienced manager a whole new footballing operation with a director of football and we'll be back bigger and better and stronger next season to get our title back
1: Well that's definitely the objective uh, is to look forward to next season John Joe and myself following you on Twitter John Joe and as uh, I follow sort of the, the sort of the feeling among Celtic fans and yourself in particular and I know that you, there's a number of reasons why you believe that this season has failed uh, but if I uh, if I had to push you for one reason in particular, the single biggest reason that to you, what, what do you think would be why Celtic have come so much up short? Uh, there are so
0: many reasons but if you had to pin one, me personally, others will have uh, different views. I think uh, the moment that we fail to secure the re-signing, Of Fraser Foster started a potential rot in the team because Fraser Foster is a fantastic goalkeeper. He's sitting wasted on the bench down in Southampton. When he was playing up in Scotland, he was imperious. In fact, he won the last season's League Cup on his own (laughs) against Rangers. And and I'm a great believer that you have to build from the back. Fraser Foster, great shot stopper, organised the back four well. And we didn't lose that many goals If you look at what happened to Celtic We scored a lot of goals this season But my god, we lost a lot of goals yeah. this season When you, It was, was this panic We set in every time a ball was crossed into the box From set pieces, free kicks, corners We lost lost so many goals at vital moments It didn't mean that we lost that many games But it meant we drew too many games yeah, And that's, that's two yeah. points, two points dropped continuously So for me, failing to secure Fraser Foster and the form of Barkas that came from uh, Greece just wasn't good enough. He he wasn't even quoted in the last few weeks of Lenin's reign and I think it was a massive, massive mistake that made sure that we had a a very feeble and disorganised defence that cost us dearly.
1: Well it's funny it's a very good point you make actually there about the goalkeeper in particular about uh, Fraser Forrester because to me um, if you're going for any title or any team that's looking to do well any kind of ambition that set any target if you don't have a, uh, a settled back four with a goalkeeper being the, the vocal point of that you're ultimately going to struggle and uh, as you've outlined there that was uh, maybe the root of of, of Celtic's uh, problems this season but of course uh, Neil Lennon's um, stepped aside, uh, well, you know, it's, it's hard to for me to understand that in a way, it, it would seem like it's a mutual thing from uh, both himself and Celtic, uh, John Joel, but uh, what do you make of the timing of, of Lennon's departure and, and the way it came about?
0: First let me say that it's sad when any man loses his job, and such as a, a, a legend at Celtic, such as Neil Lennon, he'll always be remembered as a man who secured the quadruple Sebel, but I actually think that the Celtic board lacked vision and lacked courage to get rid of Lennon before he should have went. He should have gone a good few months before he did. It was obvious that he had run out of ideas. It was also apparent that the team wasn't really performing for him. And I think if we perhaps had the courage in the boardroom to say, "Thank you, Neil, for all you've done, but we need to make a change." we might have averted some of the results that we faced in the terrible January when we, when we lost so many points. And I, I think it's farewell to Neil. He'll always be remembered, but he stayed too long.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure that, that definitely seems to be the, the general consensus amongst uh, Celtic fans. And at the timing, you sort of, when you look at that Rangers game as well, uh, John Joe, the, re- the most recent there at, at Abrox, you know Celtic when you look at it it all changed on the sending off but Celtic were the. it's, it's a funny how situations come about that Celtic obviously there weren't it was a lack of consistency throughout the season that led Celtic where they were but in terms of a team against Rangers they showed in that game against uh, at Ibrox that you know they were the better team for the large part of it.
0: Unfortunately uh, you don't get points for artistic impression No, you get points, points for scoring goals and winning games and unfortunately that this season Celtic didn't win enough games. Yeah. And that goes that goes down to small small moments. But also small moments can be turned around if you've got character, desire and will within your team. And one of the aspects of the Celtic team this season has been a lack of that character, a lack of that determination, and a lack of leaders that can say, Listen, lads, this is we'll go for 10 in a row here, we need to try and do our best, even if we're behind let's get the, the equaliser, let's get the winner, that didn't happen in far too many games.
1: Yeah, and that's, as I say the league table definitely doesn't lie and uh, as you say, Neil Lennon definitely has has uh, CV, when you look at it, Celtic um, it's, it's very hard for anyone to you know, obviously it's ended disappointingly for him in the sense of the, the way it ended and the f- fact that it's 10 in a row has failed but uh, he definitely still will remain a, a club legend, and of course, John Kennedy's come in there now, John Joe. But who do you, who would you, if you had a t- chance to appoint your own preference of manager, who would that be, John Joe? Well, first
0: you've got to commend John Kennedy for stepping in, but that's all he should be interim. I believe that John Kennedy should have the courage at the end of the season to seek out his own future and be his own man and get a managerial appointment away from Celtic to gain the experience. And who knows, in the future, he may come back and be a fantastic manager for Celtic. Before Neil Lennon was appointed in the showers at Hamden, in a a frankly lazy appointment by Peter Law on the board, I'd always said that the man for the job at Celtic was David Moyes. Now look at the, the job he's done at West Ham. He's taken them to the verge of the top four, They have restored organisation, restored pride, that determination and will that had been lacking from the West Ham team before his arrival. To me, Davy Moyes would be the experienced man that you would need because there's going to be a fantastic uh, need for experience come the summertime when Celtic will go through a phenomenal rebuild. There are so many lone players at Parkhead they'll return to their their own teams. I wouldn't keep any of them. You know, there's a lot of players there that, that will be sold because they they're good players. You know, I Christopher I A fantastic uh, individual. He'll go on to greater things and obviously Watson an Edward uh French Eddie, he will be sold. He yeah. will be sold. And there's others like Ryan Christie who perhaps want to try their their luck down in the English Premiership. Good luck to them. Anybody who wants to leave, let them leave. So when you take away those that want to leave those that will be sold and the lone players that return Celtic have a massive rebuild ahead of them. That's not a job for a rookie manager. That's a job for an experienced man who knows how to build a football team. And to me if I was g- given a vote and I'm, it'd be David Moyes but if you asked 100 Celtic fans who they want to be manager you'd probably get about 50 or 60 di- different names. Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: <laughs> but to me David Moyes is the man for the job. I don't think we'll get him because I think he'll sign a a new contract with West Ham. But hey, you've got to have ambition. And for me, ambition and vision is David Moyes.
1: Yeah. Well, when you look at David Moyes, he kind of fits the whole thing about Celtic as well. I think, you know, we... He's uh, he's proven, you know. When I obviously been a United fan as well, John Joe, as You know, like uh, I I never sort of judged uh, David Moyes on that. I, I I'm of the belief he was never given enough time at United in a six into a six year uh, contract, and uh, I'm, I'm actually glad from that he's shown uh, in England because you don't become a bad manager overnight, and he showed with Everton over a long spell that he was a very capable manager, and uh, I, I think that there will be a lot of Celtic fans. Now, uh, maybe especially seeing the job he's doing at West Ham, as a reminder, this man still has what it takes, you know.
0: Listen, when Fergie gives you the endorsement, you're a good manager. Things didn't work out, but it just shows his mental strength and his determination that he's come back to no disappointments. I I think in the moment with David Moyes, he'd be making a wee smile to himself and saying, listen, I've proved a few people wrong.
1: Yeah, and of course, since that, United things haven't exactly improved that much. So it was a poison chalice in many senses for him. But I'm glad to see that he's 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 come back you know, uh, so strongly in his career. But no, definitely, it's, it's looking forward for Celtic now uh, to next season, Junjo. And uh, there will be a lot of... Uh, I suppose the, the objective is to win the, the title back straight away from Rangers. Um, that won't be easy done, but I'm sure... The plans, hopefully, you think, would be in place now already for the start of next season.
0: You would hope so. You would hope that with a new chief executive coming in, the end of Peter Lowell's reign, a new director of football coming in, and a proper experienced manager, we can get the fans back on side. We can get the season ticket money in. We can then reinvest that and harness and build a team around some of the quality that's going to be there. Remember, David Turnbull is a fantastic, fantastic yeah, player, very talented. You know very talented player, you know, James Forrest is back from injury, you know, there are players there that are uh, champion, championship winning type yeah. players, all we have to do is supplement them with the right people the right men, who've got the skill and most importantly the determination and the willpower to pay, play for the Celtic jersey I, I think some of those players just don't have the mentality to undertake the pressure that sometimes comes yeah. with being a uh, a player at Celtic.
1: Well, I suppose there's a, so, there's a big expectation there too, and a lot of them maybe have failed to live up to that as well. You know,
0: as an expectation, there's also a style of play that, that Celtic fans are uh, are used to and and want, which is that is attacking. And I, I'm I'm optimistic if we if we get it right with the right appointments at the top, we should see us in reasonable position to challenge uh, Rangers for the title next season.
1: Yeah, well that certainly would be the goal, uh, the least that uh, Celtic fans would expect is to be putting up a, a strong challenge next season and just to look back, John Joe, I remember one of the first times I met you, I um, I talked to you about that that final back in 2003, the UEFA Cup uh, final uh, against uh, Jose Mourinho's Porto, uh, that's a match that you actually were at in, in Seville?
0: It oh, was well, indeed, yet, and, uh it was a lot of the, the, the matches, and they were the up to a fantastic uh, run of victories. When we actually showed uh, the, the, that Celtic could take on anybody, and it was a fantastic run to Seville, and just the, the result wasn't for us. And uh, you know, there's, there's 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 a little display that there's a DVD out there. You know, the 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 boys Seville. I've still no, never watched it. I can't watch that final at all. It was just so heartbreaking. We played so well. Henry Larson scored two goals. And still lost a, a major final That doesn't happen very often
1: No that's right And uh, I actually watched it back myself There recently And uh, you know you forget wee things that happened But of course in that match as well uh, Bobo Balde got sent off And it was a late, it was a late goal Just uh, I think it was five minutes From the end of Before yeah. p- spot kicks
0: I was right behind the goals When Bobo made that tackle Rush of Blood But he, he, he was a committed player And these things are, are On a fine line uh, he was sent off we, we did our best and uh, it, it was so close but it wasn't to be but I think anybody who was on that run to Seville will have fantastic memories of the, the Celtic side, and anybody who was in Seville and over 100,000 of us <laughs> yeah. left Scotland the largest airlift in peacetime since the war you know We'll always remember the fantastic way in which the Celtic fans conducted themselves. People of Seville welcomed us with open arms. We enjoyed ourselves in our in their city. We treated it with respect, and uh, we showed that Celtic fans are welcome anywhere. You know, other clubs perhaps across the city might want to learn some lessons from that.
1: Well, definitely, when you look at Celtic, the the following. Like there have been a that's a game and it's, it's talked about a lot. You know there was huge thousands and thousands of people, uh, were laying the streets and uh, as many a lot more outside the stadium of course. But uh, disappointed they didn't get the result. But uh, of course that team achieved great things, uh, domestically under Martin O'Neill and that was just it came up short unfortunately. But just to talk, uh, go through your your favourite. Celtic 11 of all time John Joe will go through it sort of briefly here 1 to 11 of all time Your Celtic team please And we'll start with your goalkeeper
0: Well it was going to be a A fine line between uh, Paddy Boran, Obviously Donegal Connections But for me it has to be Arthur Boric You know he's the second Holy Goalie After the original Holy Goalie John Fallon And Boric was just a character He was an amazing shot stopper Never feared a penalty You know When we, when we had a penalty Against us And Boric was in goals You always thought We've got a chance This keeper could, can save it And it's been the only keeper I've ever felt that way Apart from that was, was Fraser Foster Again So it has to be For me In goals After Boric
1: For uh, a character Yeah Great goalkeeper And of course Are you playing a 4-4-2 four t- four here Is it uh, I'm, pl- I'm playing
0: 4-4-2 four, four, So Okay my, So we'll go to My left. left
1: back Yeah left back it has to
0: be Danny McGrain. In my view, he's the greatest ever Celtic. I know we voted Jimmy Johnston the greatest ever Celtic, and hey, what a genius that man was. But for me, uh, Daniel Fergus McGrain is the greatest football player uh, that's ever played for Celtic. Through so many hardships, diabetes, ankle injury, he was a truly world-class fullback on left or right. You know, if it wasn't for bigotry of the day, he may have ended up at Ibrox because when the Rangers scout. Saw him, he thought, well, Daniel Fergus McGrain, he must be a Roman Catholic. Can't cite him. You know, little twists of fate that ended up uh, Danny McGrain coming to Parkhead. You know, an amazing, rampaging, up the wing, solid defender. Truly, truly world class player.
1: Yeah, I remember actually seeing you uh, state this a number of times. Uh, but uh, Danny McGrain, a great uh, left back and uh, a player that would uh, fit grace any uh, era. Uh, On to your uh, one, your first uh, centre back, John Joe.
0: Well, my first centre back would have to be Billy McNeil Caesar, the man who, with Jock Stein, helped create the modern Celtic. Captain is in Lisbon, but also. Uh, I love the man for the fact that not only was he a fantastic football player, but he was a fantastic manager. I, I remember the centenary season. Everybody expected soonest, new r- Rangers, cash rich to sweep the boards. But hey, Billy McNeil ended that. We won the, the league and the cup. But a brilliant, brilliant player and a humble man. I, I met him a couple of times and he was a, a fantastic human being. So my first centre-back would have to be Billy McNeil. Yeah,
1: great uh, by all accounts as well. Like, I obviously haven't seen a lot of uh, Billy McNeil really, but uh, a great, great footballer as well, as long as been a great defender.
0: A great football player who was on the verge of signing for Spurs before Jock Steen came back to Celtic. Yes. You know, little, little twists of fate. If uh, uh, if Steen hadn't come in, uh, Billy McNeil was wanting it looked for the future, was a bit tired of the the old-fashioned training techniques at, at Parkhead. He could have moved on, but he didn't. And as they as they say, the rest is history.
1: That's right. And Celtic's uh, Celtic's gain, massive gain. And uh, what happened? Of course, the first British club to win the the, the European Cup in 1967. On to your second centre back, John Joe. Well, it was a bit,
0: bit of a decision between Roy Aitken, who I loved to feed the bear, you know, an amazing who will forget in the 1989 Cup final with a. With a free kick in the last couple of minutes He just kicked it out of the park <laughs> <laughs> Superb that's, that's time wasting for you But for me, I have to say it, it, If I was looking at the best that I've seen It has to be Mark Reaper Now he only played about 37 times for Celtic But he steadied the defence in nineteen seventy, nineteen ninety-seven. You know He came up and stopped Rangers winning the 10 An amazing Uh, centre defender, organisational skills, a footballer that that could move into midfield reminds me very much uh, of Christopher Iyer at the moment but unfortunately he had that uh, toe injury which which ended his career but a fantastic, fantastic uh, centre half who helped stop the 10
1: Worth his place alone for that, just for that uh, John Joe I would say. Definitely (laughs) On to right back Right,
0: but he wasn't the greatest uh, technical skill But I I loved him What a character It has to be Chris Morris The only Cornishman ever to play at the World Cup You know, as part of Jack's Army Of the Irish Diaspora You know, set up a Cornish pasty business with his his dad A a brilliant uh, character And one of the only In fact, the only player To play every game in a centenary season Yes He he was so popular with us Because uh, We me and about four of my friends, we drove a car to every game, home and away that season, and we actually christened the my mate's car the official Chrissy Morris Celtic supporters' car.
1: <laughs> so you were fond of him.
0: Well, we were fond of him. We we were we were we were seen all over Scotland the Chrissy Morris Celtic supporters' car.
1: And he was one of the stalwarts of Jack Charlton's team as well, because as everyone knows, that Jack Charlton team was was built on on solid defence. You know.
0: Again, football football's not a complicated game. If you've got a solid defence, you don't lose goals and you score goals. You win games.
1: That's true. You know? Yeah, as a, as a as a man says, it's a game that's made complicated uh, at times, I suppose. And on to left mid, your left mid. Well, to me,
0: it's the person who's been voted the greatest ever, sailing uh, player, Jimmy Johnson. Yes. A tortured genius, but what a genius! You know. He only he only had 23 international caps, which is a travesty. He should have had over 50, you know. But as the story goes, and I hope it's true because it has been given to me down the line from my, my my dad, that John Prentice, the Scotland manager at the time, made him run the line at a training session, a Scotland training session. You imagine that a player of his quality in a training session being the linesman. No, yes, yeah, Now, now Prentice took over Dundee at a later stage. And Jimmy Johnson ran riot at one game at Parkhead. I think he scored three and set up three. And the story is that he ran past the dugout during the game and said to John Prentice, no bad for a linesman. <laughs> and that's, that's the clean version of the story.
1: Yes. <laughs> so he, he got his own back.
0: Yeah, and that sort of sums up for me the, the genius it uh, uh, yeah. was Jinky J- Johnston.
1: Jinky Johnson, get- a man that's appreciated uh, all over football, I'll tell you. A,
0: a genius, a footballing genius.
1: Yeah. Your first centre mid?
0: Has to be our current captain, Scott Brown. Scott Brown. You know, what a servant to Celtic. You know, a true leader. And and I'm sure he's hurting as much as anybody as else at how this season has gone. But ever since he started with Hibs, I knew he'd either play for us or the team across the the city, you know. Yeah. And thank God he played for us because uh his determination and his passion has helped us. You know, along with uh, only two other players, you know, Carl McGregor and Tom Rodgick, he's featured in all the eight cup finals of the Quadruple Treble. Yes. You know? He he's got success running through his veins. And he's now went with the assistant manager's job at Aberdeen. Yes. You know? I would hope that there must be some role for him at Parkhead, you know, because I, I think when we're rebuilding, we need that determination and, and that drive.
1: Well, people don't understand the club as well, you know, and to understand what it means to wear the to Celtic shirt. You know,
0: you can change, but you sometimes need a bit of continuity to help that change. Yeah. And I would hope that, that in whoever comes in as manager, we, we, we'd see a role for him here. Yeah. But if not, I wish him well if he if he moves up to Aberdeen,
1: well, I know that the the one of the times at Celtic. I watched Celtic playing in the league. It was actually a league game against Johnston in a couple of years back, and well, probably more than a couple of years, four years back now. And do you know so I was watching? Sometimes you don't appreciate on TV sometimes how important a player is to a team, although you can get a good grasp of it. Uh, everything went to Scott Brown. You know every single thing in terms of uh, you know the defensive side of the team and uh, the way that the Celtic attacked. He was just a, uh, the the the, big, the biggest focal point that particular day I was there in a way. You know,
0: no, no, I agree with you. We, we've we've missed missed uh, the energy, but uh, you know, time moves on. You know, yeah. everybody's career comes to an end. No matter who you, are.
1: that's right. That's true. Age, age catches up, and uh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, on to your second centre mid, John Joe.
0: Has to, be, has to be, Paul McStay, the maestro. Yes. You know he he must have amazing shoulders because he carried the club for many many years when I was watching him
2: yeah. in
0: the late eighties and nineties. You know he he had sublime passing ability. He had the tenacity to do the tackles, determinations, the and he loved Celtic. You know we were. There was times we were truly atrocious and the only quality we had was Paul McStay. You know, he was a shining light in those dark days and I'm I was so glad they endured some success with us, you know. To me the two greatest years were nineteen eighty six when we snatched the championship away from Harps from the last day of the season. At, uh, Love Street, I was there that day, it was fantastic. Yeah. We beat St. five 0 and uh, unfortunately poor Harps. Uh, failed to do what they had to do And lost it Dens Park So it was a last you know, day the
1: last day clincher
0: it, it, Yeah It makes it all the sweeter yeah, it
1: does <laughs> Especially
0: when, Especially when we were The only supporters bus actually left From Edinburgh
1: <laughs> Yes But uh, We didn't
0: get much Of a reception coming back When we, when we arrived back At uh, the Haymarket We got all our windows put in
1: <laughs> Not a very good uh, reception at.
0: Well, the Hearts fans must be upset
1: at something. I don't know. I don't know what it was. <laughs> something. Uh, something <laughs> upset them. But no, def- upset him. Definitely, Paul McStay. When you think of uh, maestros, you know, you know uh, he's a name that I hear a lot. What Celtic and uh, he. W- another thing that's uh, it's a dying, it's a dying uh, sort of feature now amongst many uh, players and and club football is he was loyal to Celtic as well. You know,
0: well, he had chances to go, but he stayed, and he. he, he, he you, you talk about players being Celtic legends, you know. But you can talk about loads of players being Celtic legends, but there's only a few that really are, and Paul McStay is one of those. He's one of those club legends.
1: Yeah, definitely so. Right, John Joel, on to uh, right mid. Who's your choice? Bobby Lennox. A great friend of Jimmy
0: Johnson. They were great pals. Uh, Bobby Lennox, probably one of the fast fastest people in Scottish football British football even world football he was nicknamed as the Buzz Bomb
2: yes
0: Or his other nickname was Lemon because he thought he made defenders look like suckers you know <laughs> <laughs> he was a great hero of mine I saw him at the end of his career when he came back from America you know he came back in September 78 and because he joined Houston Hurricane before that and it was amazing to see him you know even then he was still so fast and I actually think it uh, he helped us win the league uh, and the Scottish Cup because he was he was so head and shoulders above the players, the younger players in the park. You know he was he was the last listening line to retire, and uh, he's a man. He played in two European Cup finals. Remember, we everybody talks about Milan, but we we got came so close after winning the battle of Britain against Leeds United to lose the nineteen seventy European Cup final to Fennoid. And yes. So, you know, a wonderful player, wonderful oh, yeah.
1: player. this is shaping up to be some team? And of course, uh, that's a that's an old saying that uh, form is temporary, but class is permanent. And even though he was at the tail end of his career, he still had he still was a class player. And uh, on to your striker, uh your first year strikers, John Joe. The first striker, K. Douglas. Yeah. You know wh- wh- why not? The man had it
0: all. The ability to be what you now define as being the number 10. But for me, he's one of the greatest strikers football's ever seen. You know, scoring goals for Scotland, scoring goals for Celtic, for Liverpool. You know, 102 caps for Scotland. A man who, again, gave loyalty to Celtic. He could have left a year earlier, but decided to stay when Jock Steen was recovering from his car accident. So, again, a wonderful player. And somebody that can link with a midfield, yeah. you know, it's all very well having great natural goal scorers, but you want to build a team. And for me, the reason I included uh, Ken believes is that man could link with a midfield. Well, that's important. It's
1: important. To any successful team that you have that link to midfield, and uh, Kenny, uh, he wasn't, you know, nicknamed King Kenny for no reason. He was a yeah. a, a, a special talent. And who's your second striker, John Joe?
0: Well. If you start off with King Kenny, you have to finish off with the King of Kings, yeah. Henry Larson. A truly immense uh, striker. You know, I was at his first game at Easter Road <laughs> yeah. when he came on, you know, and he passed the ball to Chick Chandler, who scored, and we go beat 2 1. Everybody thought, who's this player we've bought? Yeah. You know, he made yeah. us eat our words. Uh, the joy that that man gave us and the goals that he scored. You know, team- the man. A goal machine, but again, a man that could link up with the play. He wasn't just a one man play. He could take on a defence by himself, but he linked up well with all the partners that he had, you know, Chris Sutton, you know, John Hartson. This was, this was a man that could play in any team, and he proved it. Yeah. You know, when players leave Parkhead, you say, ah, oh, well, that's, that's the end of them. You know, they'll no go on to, they won't win other things, greater success. This is a man that went to Man United in Barcelona. Won the Champions League.
1: That's right. Yeah, he actually was instrumental. You know, he was instrumental in Barcelona winning the Champions League. He was, in, and, uh, yeah. and it
0: showed the class and the quality of the man, and and, and that's why I think if you asked any Czech supporter to include the team, Kenny yeah. last would be there. He'd be there.
1: Well, it's often talked about, of course, about um, you know players that, uh, if they make it up in Scotland, they'll not be able to make it elsewhere. We've seen that rumour quashed on several uh, occasions, uh, a lot of times, actually, to be honest with you. Most recently... I was, yeah, was going to say, most recent being Van Dyke, but Larson proved it not only with United, but for the short time he was there, he also proved it with Barcelona. That they were uh, they were trailing 1-0 to Arsenal, and... Uh, he was, uh, and he got. To, he was involved in two Barcelona goals, which uh, overturned Arsenal. I think that was two thousand and six. But now, Larson definitely, uh, probably one of my favourite, uh, my favourite Celtic player of all time. Uh, there's,
0: there's, there's, too much snobbery in football. You know, we say, "Oh, it's just the Scottish League." Look at Kieran Tierney. What a yeah. difference he's made to the Arsenal side? That ma- that man will go on to become Arsenal captain.
1: Well, what he's doing with Arsenal, Kieran Tierney is uh, he's instilled a bit of passion and leadership in Arsenal. You know, when uh, when, mm. when when I've watched him. Um, you know Arsenal is something that they're lacking at times is that sort of drive and uh, for me Karen Tierney he's the kind of player that uh, uh, I'm surprised Arsenal will do well maybe to keep hold of him as well
0: you know well they we might do They might do but he's a fantastic player and as I say that leadership and, and drive was missing from the our team this year yeah. we could have done with him
1: but anyway, it's, uh, yeah, was well, most certainly. So you can't uh, players like that cannot be, you know, re- replaced easily, uh, John Joe. But that's a that's a brilliant team, John Joe, and uh, a team that would stand up to any any team on any given day, I'll, I'll tell you that much for nothing. And uh, thanks for compiling that because I know it, it probably wasn't the easiest task.
0: Well, there's so many players you could pick from. You know, Roy Aikens not H- right. on the side. You know, say you know there's fan- fantastic players. Yeah, I didn't even include Keon Clu- Tierney. That's right. Because let's face it, McGrain, Danny McGrain
1: uh, had that position. So it's and, so superb, on.
0: and there's so many great memories that Christy Morris gave us. So he had to be yeah. there.
1: But that's it's great to have talked about the Celtic sort of uh, current and, and and past, would you, John Joe? Um, so because I know how important Celtic is to you. And uh, before we move on, to Irish Wise, guys. I just want to say, uh, well done with the work that you're doing with Celtic Gossip, and and, and keep that up because uh, you're on a very in- informative page there that uh, have a lot of football and Celtic enthusiasts following you. So uh, a big well done on that job.
0: As I say, it's just a, a labour of love, a hobby, yeah. and all. I, all I try and do is, is 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 pass on some Celtic news and and, and have yeah. a bit of debate. With all the, the fantastic Celtic fans that are there that are on Twitter.
1: Well, you definitely do a good job of it, yeah, and um, I have to say. On to the second segment, uh, John Joe, of this uh, interview, and it's uh, your, um, your current book that you've released, and it's well, it's out now a number of months. Uh, I think it was late last year, actually uh, The Irish Wise Guys, and it's a book that's doing really well for you. Yeah, I, I
0: released that book in so sort of, I think it was October last year. Uh, it was, it's one of these books that had that been ready for about a year, but the pandemic came upon us, and uh, I was deciding whether whether to launch it because we wanted to have a traditional book launch in in both Donegal, Scotland, and there's also bookshops in Derry and Dublin that we want to have a launch as well. But you know yourself, can't do that face to face. No, so I had to had to try and launch it uh virtually using facebook and uh twitter and it's thankfully it's gone down well you know
1: well you're definitely doing a good job of promoting the book and um i have a copy myself and i'll, I'll be honest with you the subject matter in the sense of I, it wouldn't be my um, cup of tea normally something i would uh, r- read but uh it being involved with yourself in the sense of you being the author i have uh Taking it upon myself to read into it, and it is actually uh, including great Irish history uh, of a lot of uh, these uh, these wise guys, as the book is uh, aptly called, uh, John Joe. But just to talk about, as I look at the book in front of me, uh, just uh, the most notorious Irish American gangsters, just to touch on a number of those, John Joe, uh, if you will. Yeah, the thing about the book
0: is it's about 17 uh,
1: gangsters that have Irish American roots,
0: you know, and what I want to do was not just. Tell their story, but to to actually try and identify what made them into the individuals they were. You know, the vast majority of these these men suffered abuse uh, when they were younger, be it in the institutional schools, the Catholic schools, or even for their family. And now that that's not to defend uh, their actions because that's indefensible. You know, some of the crimes they committed were were truly atrocious. But what I wanted to do was was to tell their stories, but also to to highlight what made them the men they were. Their
1: beginnings, yeah.
0: Yeah. Some of these men became the, some of the richest men in America. Yeah. Uh, others became the most wanted men in America. But, but all of them, uh, when you look at their stories, had a lot of tragedy, trauma in their lives, but also a lot of brutality. So the book is not to glorify them in any way whatsoever. It's just to, to tell the interesting story because it's, it's part of the Irish diaspora in America's history. You know, we, everybody's image is always about the, the cops on the beat or the, all our relatives coming off the, the famine boats in New York. But as the Irish community became embedded in America, it became embedded in politics, it became embedded in business, but more and more, especially from the 1900s, 20s, 30s and 40s, it became heavily embedded in crime. And that's really the, the basis of the book.
1: Yeah. You know, looking at those stories. And of course, uh, there, there's a number of uh, uh, kind of local enough st- uh, stories here in the sense of uh, you've got uh, a chapter here on Ma- Mad Dog uh, Call and uh, uh, Oni Madden. Maybe just uh, start with the uh, Mad Dog Call. Um, yeah, you know,
0: they all call Mad Dog well, Vincent. Call he, he wasn't called Mad Dog until later in his career. Everybody calls him the the gangster from Gidor. But the fact he was only born, he left this place very, very, you know, young, less than a year old, to move to the the Bronx in New York. And it was the in the Bronx that uh, he was molded into the gangster that he, he would be. He had a difficult childhood. He was constantly in trouble. He, he was expelled from. Local Catholic schools. He was in the in the the gangs called the Gophers, led by Oni Oni Madden. Yes, Uh, you know there was a big age gap between them, but Oni Madden turned out to be a mentor for Mad Dog Call, and it was as a enforcer in the gangs. He was picked out by Dutch Schultz, you know, as a as a man to watch. So he became a trusted lieutenant of. Schultz, he became one of the Prohibition's most feared enforcers, yes. killing so many people, you know. And the pr- problem for Call is that he just didn't want to be the enforcer; he wanted to be the gang boss. Yes. So eventually, Dutch Schultz wasn't going to stand aside, so a war really became the two of them, Schultz and Call. Now, Call was such a violent, violent man. That <laughs> you know, Dutch Schultz was actually afraid of them, and he realised that only one of them was going to survive. And Dutch Schultz, who was a very well-connected gangster, decided that it was going to be him that was going to survive. Yes. But so, the okay. final nail in in Carl's coffin was that he was hired by the godfather oh. of the day, Mar- Uh, Maranzano Yes, he actually called him to his office because he wanted him to kill Lucky Luciano who was the number two in the Italian mafia and he offered him $50,000 at the time which was the highest payment for a hit at that time,
2: Yeah, nobody
0: had been given any more than that, That, this was in 1931 so just imagine the amount of money that was Lucky, Lucky Luciano knew that somebody was going to kill him but he didn't know who and he had actually put his men outside Maranzano's office to try and see which of the hitmen coming in would be the man that would be hired to kill him Yeah. and when they seen Cole go in they realised it was Cole and when L- Lucky Luciano found out that Maranzano had paid Cole $50,000 to kill him Lucky Luciano put a hit of fifty thousand and one dollars on Vincent Mad Dog Call. Yes, one dollar more, and that meant that every single assassin in New York and the surrounding area was out to kill Vincent Mad Dog Call.
1: And for, from having read the the, the book and uh, that chapters and, and uh, most recently, well, in that last few days, John Joe, uh, Oni Madden actually was involved in that as well. He played a, a role in that didn't he? He played a
0: pivotal role yeah. because Carl was on the run and he used all these safe houses yes. and Carl believed that he could negotiate because Carl was, was psychotic but he was very intelligent yes. he believed that he could negotiate his way out of it so he mm-hmm. called his old friend, old mentor Oni Oni Madden and pleaded with him to negotiate for him now Oni Madden had his own troubles with the Italian Mafia and he realised that there was no way that Vincent Mad Dog Call could be saved. So he ar- agreed with Luciano and Dutch Schultz that he would help set up Vincent Mad Dog Call. Yes. So what he did was he said, Vincent was to phone him at a certain time from a phone box in a certain certain uh, drugstore. Yes. And as Vincent Mad Dog Call went in, ...to make the call to... ...Owney Madam... ...and walked two hired assassins... ...and they... ...filled... ...using the old adage... ...they filled the phone box with a the lead.
2: Yes. ...there was no
0: way that Mad Dog Call... ...could survive the, the amount of bullets... ...that went through them... Yes. ...20, 30, 40 bullets from a, from a machine gun... Uh, ...and that was the end of... ...Mad Dog Call... ...and it was all set up by... ...Owney Madam... ...who... And that was the end of the Only Madden in, in New York. That was the last yeah. deal that he did with the Mafia because he knew that the days of the Irish mob controlling New York were over. Times were changing. Times were chaining. He, time chain Lucky Luciano had been setting up the, uh, the the structures of the Mafia that were all apart with it. You see in the, Godf- the, the Godfather, all the crime families. Uh, it was becoming an organised business for them. Yeah, and there was no time for the old the old stylers and mm. Oni Madden decided well after setting up his old friend that he would move he was given as you say an offer he couldn't refuse
1: yeah well I suppose um, he, he figured he had to do a, a decision he had to take but of course Oni Madden reading in his story John Joe uh, as well he had survived an onslaught uh, earlier in a, in his sort of career but uh, he would go on, he would go on to sort of be, to die in his own bed?
0: He's one of the few that died in his own bed. Oh, he's a fantastic, uh, you you know, fantastic character. He was a lover of Mae West. You know, Mae West was, Mae West was supposed to save him. He he was also delicious, but also vicious. Yes. You know, you know, his driver was a young, out-of-work actor. Called George Raft.
1: Yeah, these are names he, that people he, will, will, will obviously that will know that's familiar with American history.
0: And George Raft became the the, the archetypal uh, gangster on screen. And guess who modelled the character on? You know, Oney Madden.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, Oney Madden ran the the ran all the clubs in New York. He was the king of the Prohibition, working for Bill Dwyer, the king of the rum runners. But as you see, the Italian mafia, the rise was. You couldn't stop it. And they, they told him once, they helped him get rid of Mad Dog Call, listen, we're going to make you an offer you can't refuse. We want you to go out to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and set up a hotel network so that we, all the gangsters, can use for nightclubs and hotels on our holidays. You know, from being the, the guy who was running all the clubs in New York he was a guy who really became the hotelier to the mob.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, he, looking at it, it was sort of probably a, a, an arrangement that suited only because he was coming to a stage where he probably needed to take a, back, a more of a back seat, so to speak. If you look at his life,
0: yeah. he started off in the Gophers. He, le- he led the Gophers. He got put in jail at 19 for murder. You know? Yeah. When he came out, he saw the landscape that was there. He knew that the Irish mob that that grown on the, the waterfronts of New York was... It wasn't finished by any means, but it was weaker than it was. The Italian mafia was in the ascendancy. He tried to work with it. As they grew stronger, he realised there was no point fighting it. Why don't I take money and run and get an easier life?
2: Well, yeah. You know,
0: what? when he was in... Uh, he was called "owning the killer madden" because he was so so jealous of anybody that touched any women he had. Yeah, he would kill them. But funny enough, when he when he went out to Hot Springs, he fell in love with a with a a postmistress and That's married crazy. her, and they lived. Hey, it's a strange phrase to use for for gangsters happily ever after. Well,
1: he's one of the you the, know? the, the, the rare few that could I would say in that position that could say that. But I suppose he. It, uh, to, to make the point I was making a bit more clear, he he took a back seat, but it wasn't really. It was more to of appearance of if, if you know what I mean. He was still involved in a lot of uh, stuff that was going on. If you know what I mean, it was. He, he, tell,
0: he used the money from the hotels to control the the race race network uh, and the gambling. Put it this way, if he wasn't involved in organised crime, why was he brought before Robert Kennedy's Crime Commission? You know yeah, yeah. he was one of the first that was brought before him. he used to he sat there with his scarf and his trademark uh, tweed cap and when Robert Kennedy asked him about his of his crime connections, he's one of the most famous people for saying "I plead the fifth yes. he said nothing. he told them nothing and uh, whilst he was obviously involved in organized crime, they couldn't pin it on him and un unlike a lot of his contemporaries, he died in his bed. Yeah, he died a wealthy man in his
1: bed. Yeah, and that's, that was just the sort of story. Only Madden. There's only the two uh, stories amongst Mac uh, Mad Dog uh, Vincent Call and Oni Madden, and there's there's 17 as you've said. And the final one that you're going to touch on touch on right now uh, is uh, you've just mentioned his name there previously, John Joe. Bill Dwyer. Yes, Bill Dwyer. You know, he was also known as the King of the the Rum Runners. You know, and he was very
0: much connected with Only the Killer Madam.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, Bill Dwyer got into bootlegging in Prohibition. And he didn't like violence. He was very much the crime, especially in Prohibition, with the bootlegging, it should be a business. And he organized it and it ran it like a business. But the problem was it was too violent. Yes. And not not being a violent man, he needed a, he needed a sidekick, a partner, who could handle the violence and one night one of his uh, consignment of trucks was hijacked and it was hijacked by only the killer madden yes and rather than start a war with Oni madden he arranged to set up a business meeting with him and bill dwyer said you be my business partner you deal with all the the uh Nasty side of the business, I'll deal with the business side. I suppose
1: he knew it was the only route, really, to sort out. It was the
0: only route, really, because there was so much money involved. Bill Dwyer was making so much money that at one stage, he was one of the richest men in America. And that was because he and One Madden controlled the entire prohibition network in the east coast of America. Yes. And that was under threat from the Italian Mafia, so he needed to have somebody like Only the Killer Madden to give him the muscle to fight back against any encroachments on his territory. I
1: suppose it worked, I suppose, it really and truly, when you look at it, it worked in, in his, in his favour after Bill Dwyer.
0: His intelligence was the, the main thing that worked in his favour as well. Yeah. Because he was called the King of the Rum, the Rum Runners because what he used to do was to take all the... The top quality booze, because you've got to remember in the Prohibition, a lot of the illegal stuff, it wasn't called gut rot for nothing. It could make you go blind. Yes. You know, so people actually wanted good quality alcohol. So he would import it from the Caribbean and from England. But what he would do is he would obviously the Coast Guard was watching the American coast. But what he would do, he would then get it shipped to outside the American legal limits put it onto fast speedboats and then these would evade the Coast Guard and this was all alcohol that be created legally in England and the Caribbean I
2: see. but the
0: advantage the advantage he had over the Coast Guard was that he knew an old friend that had World War One surplus airplane engines and he fitted these to his speedboats so he could outrun any ship that was on the seas at the time. Yes. But the only Madden suggestion was that they also put machine guns on them. So not only were they fast, they were deadly. So it shows you the relationship and the partnership they had worked for each other. They were making so much money that, uh, that Dwyer got involved in sport. He had a professional hockey team, he had boxers, he had a football team, you know, the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he was doing fantastically well. But the problem was he was doing too well. You know, the American government said this man has to be brought down a peck. And eventually, throughout the years, he used every mechanism through tax avoidance, a bit like Al Capone and taxis, to take nearly every penny off him. When he died, again, he died in his own bed. He didn't die violently. But he died in his bed with only the roof above his head. He'd lost the hundreds of millions of dollars that he owned the American government and the Italian mafia had taken it all off them.
1: It's an interesting story, though. Another interesting one, you know, when you look at them, they're, they're all linked in tandem in a, in a sense of, you know, Mad Dog and Oni and uh, Bill Dwyer. And, uh, it's 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 only a small chunk of the story that is the, the irish wise guys folks by john joe mcginley and uh it's definitely a credit to you the book john joe and uh i can only see it um you know going from strength to strength and uh, only the beginning of of uh the books we're going to see from me, i'm sure
0: well there's two things to have. the first one is if anybody wants a copy of irish wise guys it's available on irishwiseguys.ie or the kindle version is available on amazon But uh, I'm working on my second book at the moment, which is called The Irish in Power, which is about the Irish-American politicians who have uh, impacted so much on America. I haven't gone for the high-profile people that you always talk about. I've gone for the the lesser-known but influential politicians that have fantastic stories. You know, like James Michael Curley, who was the mayor of Boston, probably the most progressive but corrupt politician of his time. You know, James Farley... He was the power behind the throne of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he was also the man that brought co- Coca-Cola to uh, Europe. Yeah. So I'm busy working on that book, and that should be available uh, in September of this year.
1: Well, it's definitely another, it's another sort of a, a different angle to, come to the Irish wise guys. But again, it's it's Irish um, at the heart of it, Irish people, and uh, I'm sure that will be uh, another uh, successful uh, release for you, John Joel, But definitely check out that uh, book folks as john joe has mentioned there ie, and uh, i can say myself that it's uh, it's a brilliant read and as i say i'm not into that sort of subject matter as i say specifically but uh, john joe does has done a fantastic job in sort of narrating what the the, the details of the past of what happened a lot of the as we've talked on there only a, a small chunk of it but uh, definitely a fantastic read and uh, On to the final part, John-Joe. It's just, uh, as as I mentioned in the introduction, you're you're also a campaigner for autism awareness and this is something that uh, has uh, directly linked to yourself. uh, You've got two uh, kids on the autism spectrum.
0: Yeah, I've got four boys, two of whom are on the autism spectrum and so I spend a lot of time uh, Well, you have to fighting for the resources for them because there are so little available. And in that fight, I've learned a lot of stuff. So what I've tried to do is share it as much as possible. I have a website called autismdad.ie where I blog and try and share just insights of what works for our boys, what doesn't, so people can actually share it. There's a Facebook page, Autism Dad, and there's also a Twitter account, Autism Dad, where I just try and share and build a community where mothers, mums and dads of children on the autism spectrum and in fact adults who are autis- autistic can share knowledge, can learn, can can moan, can rant and can fight for uh, the services that, that our children deserve.
1: Well uh, you've definitely been consistent in that John Joe because I've seen you um, the last past number of years continuously fighting and that's what you have to do but you definitely. Uh, I saw uh, one of the the great uh, quotes regarding autism, and it was uh, regarding sort of the fact that autism doesn't define uh, people who have the condition. John Joe, you might uh, just touch on that. That great quote. Oh,
0: no, it, it it doesn't. You know. You know. There's a, another quote that says that once you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. The autism spectrum is so wide. And the how it affects individuals is completely uh, massive. That no no child with autism is the same, and that's why none of our children should be defined with autism. They have different, they have a different sense of the world, they have a different way of experiencing the world. And one one of the things I'm trying to do with Autism Dad is to try and create awareness about autism because. For too long, children have been compartmentalised with autism as being, oh, it's a disability, well, we treat them differently, and, oh, there's, you know, in the past, they're all locked away and treated as different. You know, yeah, they are different. They sense and see and experience and smell and taste the world different to us, but that doesn't define them. They have wonderful abilities. They have wonderful intelligence. They have wonderful talents.
1: Great characters. And
0: these, these should be embraced you know, autism is just a different way of, of seeing the world. And part of the, the struggle that I'm trying to do and part of the, the fun of autism, Dad, is to explain autism, to increase the awareness of autism, and to show that it's just a different ability, not a disability.
1: Well, having watched and, rec- and looked at your recent blogs in particular, John Joe, I can say that you're, you're definitely a great campaigner for that in, in, in the sense of making it uh, more common knowledge to, to people. And, uh, I can, uh, I definitely say that your, your boys are lucky, your family are lucky to have you. You know, because, uh, you do, you do, you do a lot to sort of encourage, the the learning process of it.
0: Well, you have to. We yeah. need to increase as much awareness as you possibly can. Uh, and through that awareness, we get that, we get acceptance. And that's the most fundamental part of what I'm trying to achieve here. For too long, we've not embraced our children. In society, with with autism, they're, they're just about as much an important part of society as you and I. I just yeah. say they just have a diff- different
1: ability. Definitely so. When there's so many different, you know, sort of uh, conditions out there in in the world, but they don't. There's no reason for that. They have to define, you know, anybody. John, Joe, and uh, it's definitely admirable. Yeah, uh, your 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 story with the uh, and uh, you definitely have a lovely uh, family there. And uh, take the take this opportunity to say hello to them as well. John Joe? Well,
0: they're, they're away, away playing next door to try and make, <laughs> not make much noise with this. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> no, definitely lovely children I've met. Uh, I, think, I don't think I've met them all but I've left, uh, I think I've met, met a, two of them. Yeah, lovely, lovely boys and uh, definitely it's a huge credit to you, John Joe and uh, all the, the best with you in that angle as well with autism awareness and all, all the best in promoting that and uh, uh, it's, it's something that I know that you're very passionate about as you are with the uh, other topics we've touched on but John Joel it's been a it's been a pleasure featuring you on the podcast.
0: No thank you very much for uh, giving me a chance as I say I was, I was wondering why anybody would want to hear from me you know after oh. all the, the famous people that you've spoken to <laughs> I've enjoyed listening to some of the legends and music and in life that you've had on it's it's a credit here and it's, it's a fantastic series that you're putting together.
1: Thanks a million, John-Joe, and I'm glad that, um, to make yourself a part of it. It's definitely overdue that this has uh, happened, and uh, you're very interested in the sense of the different, uh, various, as I said at the start of the show, the different walks of life that you cover, uh, with Celtic and um, Irish wise guys and the Autism Awareness. There's so many different angles, but uh, I would like to, to wish you and your family all the best for the future, and again, to thank you for your time for this podcast interview. Oh, thank you, Tony. Thank you very much, John-Joe, and all the very best to you. Yeah, bye So that concludes episode number 43 of the Time Out podcast uh, with John-Joe McGinley, and I hope that you did enjoy it uh, as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. Uh, stay on the lookout for episode number 44, which will be coming next week. And uh, all that remains for me to say on this episode is from me to you. Until next time, take care. For more on the Time Out podcast, visit thetimeoutpodcast.ie.